It's interesting that um, Randy introduced me this morning, because um, we're going to be talking about a heavy topic this morning, and um, Randy and I are known on staff as uh, the criers, and so um, it wasn't my goal to cry here this morning. Um, I said before first service, I didn't cry in my preparation, um, but then as I started talking at 9 a.m., um, the tears were flowing. So it's going to be a heavy um, a message, but it's going to be a message of hope and redemption. Um, so it's not just sad news. There's good news in Jesus here this morning. And I really want to encourage you, if you didn't grab the message notes on the way in, if you would just raise your hand so someone can get those to you. It's going to be important to follow along this morning. All right? All right. So let's open the, the Bible here. Um, <clears throat> Oh, gosh. Ripping pages. (laughs) So this morning we're going to be in Psalm 42 as we continue our series in the Psalms. Um, And again, the topic is heavy, but it's one that affects a lot of people. With Christians, us here in the body of Christ being no exception. Um, So the topic and this morning of the message and that of Psalm 42 is despair. So we're going to talk about despair. We should probably define it. So what is despair? Despair is the complete loss or absence of hope. Um, Meaning you're at rock bottom, so to speak. Um, You're experiencing the highest degree of mental, spiritual, even physical anguish. Um, Life has hit you hard, and maybe you can't see a way out. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, You long for the days of your past when you felt anything but how you feel right now, when you just felt different. Or maybe it's when you felt anything at all, Um, another symptom of despair or um, depression, you know, not just pain, but it can be sort of a, a numbness to life. And so maybe you're longing for the days when it wasn't so hard to get out of bed or to be around other people. Or even to just be alone with yourself. Because even that can be scary. Um, Another word for despair could simply be pain. Um, We have a quote this morning from Abraham Lincoln in his letter to John Stewart. He said, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. Whether I shall ever... Be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better, it appears to me. Let's talk about not beating around the bush, right? Um, We're just going to pick this scab and get right into it this morning. So this message has been a burden on my heart as I've been preparing for it the last few weeks. Um, I felt a unique pressure Um, to do this topic justice or simply to not mess it up. Um, Talking about this issue of despair is so complicated, Um, whether it's despair or depression or um, trauma or mental illness. um, It's different for each person um, that struggles with it. So I want nothing more um, this morning than for those of us who are struggling with this form of suffering uh, to walk in freedom. To come away with a fresh dose of hope this morning. And while Psalm 42 and our teaching this morning is not going to cover every little detail 
um, I do believe it will lay the foundation for healing. So I want you to know this morning that I stand before you on this platform, having experienced my fair share of despair um, throughout my life, um, even depression. I don't say this for attention, um, certainly not, or sympathy, but more so as an example of God's goodness and his faithfulness. Somebody say amen. amen. So I've experienced effects of mental illness indirectly. Um, after watching my mother struggle with depression um, since I was a child, and when on June 22nd, 2007, um, I was woken up in the middle of the night two weeks after joining the Army at basic training um, to learn that my brother um, had ended his life. And so I've experienced personal and direct despair um, after experiencing the loss of a child and walking through that with my amazing wife. Um, and so I eventually came to realize that this diagnosis, this issue of despair or depression, um, something I wanted so badly to pretend wasn't real, even for my family members, um, was actually becoming real for me. And I, um, yeah, I too was struggling with Depression. <clears throat> but through these circumstances, I've also experienced redemption. Praise God, right? I've encountered the God who sees me and the God who hears me, the God who saved me. And he has shifted my perspective and it empowered me to fight back against the enemy with the truth of who he is and who I am in Christ. Come on. But I say all this to say that I've, I've been there, and if that's you this morning, that you're not alone. Um, and what God has done for me, he can do for you. There is hope here this morning. So I struggled naming this message uh, when we were initially talking. We were going to call it the depressed heart um, and then, so obviously I finally named it uh, the despairing heart. And one of those reasons is I think depression is one of those words that means different things to different people. Um, we kind of look at it like a disease, like a virus that we catch, and we either have it or we don't. When in reality, d depression sort of exists on a spectrum of severity. So words like depression scare us. Um, we don't want to accept that we could be struggling with it. Um, trust me, I know I resisted the label for a long time um, with all my might. And sometimes we'd rather not acknowledge the depths or the complexities of our current reality, our issue. And we'd much rather go on pretending that everything's okay. Uh, we'd we'd rather, much rather pretend that we're fine when in fact we know and everyone around us knows that we're not. We're not that good at hiding it. And so again, I watched my mother struggle with depression most of my life, and I could barely come to grips with the fact that it was real to her, let alone myself. Um, the term is simply scary, um, because we tend to think it means that we're broken, that our brains are broken, and this is somehow part of our identity now, that we will never experience hope or joy again. And so we go about resisting the label, its consequences, and its stigmas. 
Um, another reason is that depression is a very specific diagnosis, um, and that may not apply to everyone here. Although it would apply, statistically speaking, to about one in five of us, if not more here this morning. But even if you've never experienced clinical depression, you've probably experienced despair of some sort. Despair has probably touched your life um, in some way. So there's a good chance that most of us here can relate to this message this morning. Um, and so whether you're, you're struggling with clinical depression or just a hard season, um, this message is for you. And even if you're not, this message is for you because we are called to love and incarnate ourselves and to bear the burdens of those who are. So this message is for everyone here this morning. I also want to be clear, though, um, however, that despair and depression are powerful, complex issues. So I, I approach this topic with humility because um, we're going to wade into um, choppy waters this morning. And so I ask for your grace along with that. And no one-liner from this morning's message is going to fix things on its own. But my hope is that through this teaching, um, you are encouraged to enter a process towards healing. It is a process. Because um, no matter how bad things are right now, in this moment, this week, whatever the case may be for you, healing is possible. And it's possible because this morning we're going to point to Jesus and he has triumphed over awe. Amen? Amen? The good news for those of us here this morning who are struggling <clears throat> is that there is indeed hope, as we just mentioned. Even when you don't feel like there's hope, there is hope. Just like we just sang out, everyone here is singing, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. That's because our hope is not circumstantial. Hope exists in a man named Jesus who is alive. And I have, he said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So the good news this morning is that even when despair or mental illness seem to be ruling our lives, Jesus is still higher. Our hope is in God and his love never fails. And so again, our text this morning comes from Psalm 42. Um, would you read that with me? As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar. I hear the tumult of the raging sea as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. This is where we get the phrase, deep cries out to deep. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. O oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? 
Why must I wander around in grief? Opposed by my enemies, their taunts break my bones, they scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. And so as Psalm 42 opens, we see this vivid language and imagery of a deer panting and thirsting and longing for water. Um, I think it's important that we don't mistake this for someone experiencing a satisfying relationship with God in the current moment. It's more like a National Geographic animal planet kind of show. And, you know, you start like, oh, no, you still want to turn a channel. So there's a deer just in the middle of nowhere. He can't find water. He's desperate because he needs it for life. He's clinging on to dear life. And so we see a man feeling abandoned by God. And this is defined a little more clearly in verses 9 through 10. But it's also made clear um, in verse 2. When he says, when can I go and stand before him? So the suggestion here is that it's been long enough, right? It's been long enough since I felt God's presence. And it'd be really nice if he'd show up right about now. And so the psalmist, probably David, continues his lament in verse 3. As he says, day and night I have only tears for food. While my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? So this makes me ask the question today, sort of a side note. Um, For those of us here who are struggling with despair, maybe for all of us, who do you recognize as your enemies? When you sing worship songs like Raise a Hallelujah in the presence of my enemies, who or what comes to mind? If we're going to win the battle for our minds, I think it's important that we identify the enemy. And so as Christians, we have the privilege, right, of reading the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul describes the influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I think it's important to recognize that all three have a part in the battle for our minds. Then in Ephesians 6, Paul is more clear about who our enemy is. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, he says, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So, in the midst of our despair, we can recognize that we have an enemy whispering in our ear, where is this God of yours? It's not so different from the garden narrative in Genesis when the serpent asked, did God really say? And so with our enemy identified, we can now talk about the prescription from this psalm to defend ourselves against his lies and his attacks. And make no mistake, the works of our own flesh. The first thing we, um, we see here from the psalmist It's sort of this prescription to pour our hearts out to God, to pour out our souls. We might call this in our our modern context, getting in touch with our feelings. Women tend to be better at this than men. um, But the psalmist makes no exclusivity here. Um, But again, as a side note, did you know that men are three and a half times more likely to commit suicide than women? 
And certainly there's lots of complex reasons for this, um, but I can't help but think that one of them has to be our reluctance to be emotional and open about our feelings. But I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of women here too that, that struggle to just be emotionally available and open about what they're really struggling with. And so this is for you here today. But the psalmist, the author of this psalm, was not reluctant. He was honest. He says, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. So even in his questions that follow, he's being honest about his current state. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And that takes a level of honesty, of getting real with your current situation. The ESV phrases this a little bit more poetically. Um, it says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? So sometimes we don't want to face reality. We know something's wrong, but we'd rather go on pretending that everything is okay. Even when we know what we need to do um, for healing to begin. <clears throat> it can seem as though admitting what we're facing, um, admitting that it's real, is just too much to bear. Right? When we give a name to it, we can almost feel like we're giving life to something we'd much prefer to, that would just die. But the truth is that as we bring our issue into the light, we no longer allow it, allow it to remain in the darkness for the enemy to have his way with it. So it's through admitting our present state of despair that the light of Jesus is able to shine on it. And we allow the light to shine in the darkness and we know that the darkness will not put it out. So I pretended for years that my mother didn't really have a mental illness, okay? Um, I was young and naive and stupid and I just wanted to have um, a normal family and a normal life. I was obsessed with this word normal, whatever that means, right? And I probably didn't love her well or show much compassion because I was too busy pretending that it wasn't real. And so when I was on my own path of destruction, <laughs> of depression and despair, and making, you know, bad choices and just losing the battle for my mind, um, I finally came to grips that I, too, was dealing with depression and anxiety. And this was something that was happening to me, and I, it was, seemed too much to bear. But it wasn't until I was honest about my situation and how I was feeling and in the, in the emotions I was going through, that I was able to begin a process towards healing. Admitting this to ourselves is hard because it brings us low. Now, what you're going through today might not be as extreme as some of the examples I've mentioned. Maybe you're just feeling a little down, confused, hurt, scared. Maybe the pain you feel is, is tied to trauma. Maybe you're in a season of waiting, and it's, it's hard, and you're looking for answers. Whatever the case may be for your pain this morning, I believe that the first step towards healing is to be honest with where you are, both with yourself and with God, and allow Jesus to weep with you and restore you, because that's what he does. He restores. And you can cry out to God. You can be honest with him that you're scared, that you're afraid. I don't think it's a coincidence that my wife put my son to bed last night, and then he came right back down 
when I was still working and, and wrapping this up, and he said he was scared, right? Um, I was like, all right, buddy, we're going to go back to bed. <laughs> he was up for another hour with me. And then he climbed back in bed, and I was like, all right, we're going to pray. And we just started praying about, thank you, Jesus, that we can be open and honest about that we're afraid right now. But Jesus, we know you're with us, right? You know, I'm praying for a kid. Um, Jesus, we know that you're with us. We know that you're good. We know you're watching over us. And we don't have to be afraid. But being honest with ourselves is hard, again, because it brings us low. But as we come low, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, he lifts us up. We are made strong in our weakness. He makes us strong in our weakness. And he lifts us up not above himself, but above ourselves and above our despair or depression or anxiety. And so eventually we get to a point where we decide to be honest and we accept things as they are. So then what? Do we listen to these negative emotions? The answer, of course, is no. What we see the psalmist doing is beginning a self-dialogue. And a dialogue means that there's two parties involved. So up until this point, the psalmist self has been talking to him. Then beginning in verse 5, he begins talking to himself. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. And so no one really preaches on Psalm 42 without mentioning Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor who had this to say. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourself to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 is this, he says. Instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asked. His soul had been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. So let's come back to a moment to that quote um, towards the beginning, the first slide of this, where he said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? I think it was worth repeating. But this is where our flesh comes into play. Jeremiah warns us that our hearts are deceitful and sick. Listen to your heart, I think not. And then Jesus himself tells us that our hearts, out of our hearts come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Because of this, the psalmist cannot sit by and listen to himself, but he must attack those lies from the enemy and from within with the truth. And we have the truth right here. We must remind ourselves that God has a track record, all right? He has a history with us. 
What we've seen God do in the past, he can do it again. What you've seen God do for another, he can do it again for you. God is not on a limited supply of blessings. There's no global supply shortage like there is with Chick-fil-A sauce. Gary, what's going on? (laughs) So if you're sitting here today and unsure of what he's done for you, he wrote this entire book to remind you. God has given us the power, all right, listen up. God has given us the power to control what we think. And what we think will determine our feelings. But if what we think does not reflect truth, and what we feel does not reflect reality. So we must remind ourselves of the truth of God's word and his history of faithfulness in our own lives. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So take note here this morning. This isn't just some of positive self-talk um, or cognitive behavioral therapy. No, because the object of our dialogue is not ourselves. And our goal is to not remind ourselves of how good we are or how, how strong we are individually, but it's to remind ourselves of the truth that we are children of God. We are heirs with Christ. What is true of Jesus is true of us because we are in Christ by the grace of God. And so it's not just some psychological tactic, but it's a spiritual endeavor of coming under his lordship and being transformed by the renewing of our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't listen to yourself, but talk to yourself. And don't just talk to yourself, but preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of God's truth and his goodness. When we preach to ourselves, we force our hearts to hear the truth And it's at this point where the Holy Spirit comes along and makes our hearts believe the truth. You tell yourself in the face of adversity that I am a child of God. I don't have to come under these attacks. The Holy Spirit comes along and says, yes, you are, and no, you don't, in Jesus' name. And this is where our heart transformation begins to take place. And so our, our final section of this song where we're focusing primarily on verses 3 through 6 this morning. Um, our last takeaway or, or, or lesson from Psalm 42 is this. Um, we need to reorder our hopes. The example here is to reorder our hopes. In verse 5 the psalmist says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him. He is my savior and my God. He is literally redirecting what he puts his hope in. It's not his past when he was worshiping at the temple and everything was well with him and everything was going okay. Even here, by the way, Mount Hermon is hundreds of miles from Jerusalem. And so he is physically distant if it's not a metaphor for his spiritual distance. But our victory in Christ is not circumstantial. So although the psalmist is either physically distant, 
um, as his words suggest, or again, if it's a metaphor, he can still choose to hope in God and reassure himself, as the text says, that he will praise him again. He will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so can we, because our hope, again, is not in our own abilities, accomplishments, comfort, person, other than Jesus, or any circumstance. But our hope is in what God has done for us through Christ. And so as Christ's followers, we can remind ourselves of a few things this morning. We have some bullet points here. Because of our justification, we don't have to dwell on our past or guilt or shame. Are there verses here on your message notes? If they're not, write them down. Because of our sanctification, God's act of making us holy and perfect, we can and will change. He can and he will change us. Because of our adoption, God does hear us and he loves us as a father loves his child. Because of his resurrection, we don't have to be afraid of aging or dying or of a loved one who knows Jesus aging or dying. And finally, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, I can be confident in his love for me. I can trust in his finished work now. My wife, Brittany, has been reminding me so much lately about the finished work of Christ. We were at a conference a few weeks ago and the theme was singing out, Maranatha, Lord, come back. But she prophetically just spoke to me that, you know, that, that, that's great. And we do have hope in that. But let's not lose sight of the finished work of Christ, that we can experience his goodness now. And it says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That means on this earth. And we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So as we end here today, it's worth noting that Psalm 42, and for that matter, Psalm 43, which most scholars would believe to be one continuous psalm. It doesn't end with a grand resolution. You don't see an example of the solution here, but there is a note of hope that transformation will come. As I mentioned earlier, restoration is a process. And God is working miracles in the process. For some of us, it's just that we showed up here this morning that we'll wake up and go to work tomorrow. Don't diminish the miracles that are happening in the waiting. And we can have hope that breakthrough is coming because while physical distance kept the psalmist away from the temple, literally away from the presence of God, as believers in Christ, we know that we can come into the presence of God no matter where we are physically. The presence of God is no longer limited to a physical location or, or a place on a map, not even this church building. No, the veil has been torn, and there is nothing separating you from God this morning. Amen. As believers, that's right, come on. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are literally ourselves his temple. But if you're here today and you're experiencing a, a, a spiritual distance from God, and I believe that Psalm 42 offers us a model of prayer and hope that will allow us to praise him again.
All right, this is the bonus round. Now I'm done expositing Psalm 42, but I just felt it might be worthwhile to talk about a few things here this morning. And so what can we do as we leave here? How can we put this into practice? Um, and I, I, don't, I don't have slides for this. I apologize. It was a, a late addition. <clears throat> but the first one is alone time with Jesus in his word and in his presence. We have to make room for him in our lives, in our schedule. Right? I, when I was thinking of that, I thought of the, the phrase, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so as we immerse ourselves in the truth, when, when, when travesty comes our way, we're much more prepared to deal with it than if we're just doing our own thing on a daily basis. We can't remind ourselves of the truth if we don't know it. Secondly, I, I want us to remember that our identity is in Christ, not our issue. Just as much as it's hard to admit that we're struggling to come to terms with the reality of our situation, um, some of us here this morning have, have come to terms with that, and now we accept it as part of our identity. Our depression, our anxiety, our, our mental illness, the trauma we experience, it's, it's, it's not part of who you are. It's not part of your identity. Your identity is in Christ. Amen? So I just want to remind you of that. I don't mean to shout. I, I, I say this in love. But just know that Jesus is bigger than your issue, as hard as it is. But we have to wrap our heads around that. Our identity is in Christ, not our issue. And secondly, I just I want to encourage us to prayer, to be honest with God about our struggle, and then to pray for relief and guidance. That he will show us the next step. And as we come here for, for worship, as, as, we, as we worship here as, a, as the body of Christ, as a congregation, that we're not just singing songs or having a good time at an encounter night. There's something much deeper going on. We come to a place where we can worship him and come into agreement with who he is and what he's done. And as we, we sing songs, those words can penetrate our heart and we can hear them like we've never heard them before. And they can change us. They can help us. And, and lastly, I, I just want to mention community. You know, we, we, we believe that life transformation happens best in personal relationships. And then you find these personal relationships best in, in, in life groups and community. And so being in, in community with others gives um, you a chance, gives others a chance to intercede for you on your behalf. If you're in a life group here, I'm sure you've walked through despair with someone in the last year or so. The life groups give us a chance to love and support one another, speaking the truth over others when they're believing lies. And then part of that community is our church staff, your pastor, Pastor Brad, myself, Gabe, Caleb, Mitzi, Hannah, whoever is your shepherd, Randy's back here. Whoever your shepherd is here, maybe it's your life group leader, but to reach out and to be open and honest with them. Allow us and allow others to walk alongside you and to speak the truth in love and to encourage you and to build you back up in Christ. That's all I have here this morning. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for everyone who is here. 
God, I believe that you have brought people here this morning just to hear this message. Not because I'm speaking, Lord, because you're speaking through your word. And because you have a message of hope for them this morning, Lord. That while whatever they're facing may be too much for them, Jesus, it's not too much for you. So, Lord, would you just give us the ability to put our hope in you this morning? Would you encourage our souls, Lord? Would you bring relief and healing and restoration here this morning? Holy Spirit, would you come? We welcome you here this morning, Lord. We praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We will praise you again, Lord. We will praise your name, Jesus. Because you have a track record, Lord. You have a history with us. You'll never let us down, Jesus. God, would you change our prayer life? Would you change our priorities to make time for you? Would you come and do what only you can do here this morning, Lord? Would you transform our hearts and our minds by the truth of your word here this morning? God, you are so good. We thank you for your faithfulness this morning. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.